0: Well, it's great to see you all, um, great to see you all here this morning. I, uh, it's kind of one of those, it, it feels like one of those mornings where I just want to like go around and give each one of you a hug. You know, it feels like a, it feels like a hugging room today. Um, so if you want to hug after, after church, just come on up and get a hug, right? If you're not a hugger right now, that's okay. If you're just a fist bumper or if you're a wave across the room, that's okay too. Um, but if you want a hug, come get a hug. Um, it's uh, great to see you, and uh, we're we're if you're new here, if this is your first time. My name's Cameron. I'm the pastor here at Conduit, and <laughs> nice to see you. <laughs> um, and we're leading up to um, what for what for Christians, for followers of Jesus is the. Um, the apex or the the pivotal moment uh, celebration and all not just of not just of the calendar year but what we consider to be all of all of time all of creation both then um, and now and into the future and the celebration of Easter and um, this coming week the t- oh, today is Palm Sunday and we're going to talk all about Palm Sunday this morning um, today is Palm Sunday and then. Uh, on Friday night is Good Friday, it's the day that commemorates or remembers the, um, the crucifixion of Jesus. And we will have a service here on Friday night at 7 o'clock. It will be a, uh, a communion service for us. And so um, we will have um, child care open for the littlest of our kids in the Purple Room. Um, no other child care will be, will be provided that night. But we, we welcome you to come on Good Friday um, for uh, for our service that night and that will be like part one of a two part series that will conclude on Easter Sunday morning uh, and Easter Sunday will be our, our normal service here um, at 10am uh, at um, with all of the Conduit Kids rooms open so um, we're, we're, st- we're still waiting to open one more room but they'll all be open next week um, but as I've said the last few weeks, um, Easter Sunday is a day that we celebrate, and that is all about celebration and victory and 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 new life in Jesus Christ, as 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 both modeled and exemplified in His own resurrection. But that but that Easter Sunday is is really an incomplete celebration without Good Friday or Friday, um, uh, resur- or Crucifixion Friday, whatever you want to call it. Okay, so, so it, it kind of does stand in a part one, part two type of um, scenario or situation. I would really encourage you to be here if you can um, on Friday night. Um, but today is Palm Sunday. And uh, the question of, well, how does Palm Sunday fit into the whole narrative of what was happening in Jesus' life in that last week or so of his life? And we've been, we've been talking about in the Gospels about the lead up to this moment and how um, Jesus for a good portion of his ministry was predicting his death to his disciples. Right? A couple of weeks ago um, we talked about the, the Gospel of Matthew about how Jesus would tell his disciples, hey look, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be um, betrayed and then arrested and then tried and then I'm going to be crucified, but don't worry, um, on the third day I'm going to rise again. Now, like most of us, or like, I guess I'll just say, speak for me, we, we often don't hear the good news, we, we hear just the bad news, right? Like, oh, what I heard was that you're going to be betrayed, arrested, and crucified, right? And then we, we hone in and we focus on that. And that's the case for the disciples, too, is that Jesus cons- t- consistently told them, this is what's going to happen, but don't worry, right? But all all they could focus on was that Jesus is going to die, and Jesus is going to die. He's going to leave us. We got to do everything we can to stop this. This is not good. This is not okay, right? And so um and so Jesus worked with them, right? He pastored them really. He discipled them. He he didn't tell them they were foolish, right? He he understood their fears, he understood their pain and their anguish, and he tried to offer them a word of comfort and, and hope and promise in the midst of their, their own impending loss and, and fear. Um, and, and then we get to this point today where Palm Sunday is the day that the be- it's kind of like the beginning of the end, or the beginning of the beginning, however you want to like look at it. The beginning of what Jesus predicted was going to happen. He was coming. He was going to Jerusalem, which was um, like the theological governmental center of the Israelite nation, right? It was like their Washington D.C., so to speak. Okay, and on the on the trip into Jerusalem, a city that he would turns out not end up leaving, right? He would. Stay there throughout the week, through Passover week, and the end of Passover would, everything that he said was going to happen, happened. Um, and, and, and so that's where we find ourselves. And I, I want to talk a little bit about what is Palm Sunday, and, um, and what happened. Why did it happen? Why did it have to happen like it did? I'm going to be bouncing back and forth between the Gospel of John and the, the Gospel of Matthew here, but you can find um, what the Gospel writers call the triumphal entry in, in each of the four Gospels. And each Gospel writer um, kind of accounts, not, not contradictory details, but, but um, complementary details to what happened on that entry into um, the holy city. In John chapter 12, um, starting at verse 12, uh, says that the next day the great crowd that had come for the feast, or the Passover feast, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches and they went out to meet him. And they shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And at first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had to be written about him. Now, if you look at the account in Matthew, the uh, the account in Matthew is a little bit different, but still, nonetheless, um, communicates the the same general uh, the same general message. Turning over into uh, Matthew chapter twenty one, there's a little bit more um, detail here about Jesus getting a donkey and a colt to ride on. And in verse 4 of Matthew chapter 21, uh, he says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say, Say to your daughter of Zion, See your king. Your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. And then a very large crowd spread their, spread their cloaks in the road while Others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road, and the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted "Hosanna" to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest! And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, "Who is this?" And the crowds answered, "This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee." And so there is this. There seems to be this. This. Um, You know, pomp and circumstance existing around, or this environment of Jesus coming into Jerusalem for what was both the first time in his life and would be the last time in his life. And the question is, well, why? Why was there all of this celebration? Why was all there all of this hubbub? Why were people doing something that was seemingly a little weird, um, taking palm branches? off ripping them off of trees and and waving them in the air as Jesus was coming into the city and 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 proclaiming hosanna hosanna in the highest blessed is the king who comes in the name of the lord blessed is the coming king of of israel why what was significant about these what was significant about this action what was significant about the crowd's reaction to Jesus, well there are a few things that are important for us to notice and understand both historically about the time period that Jesus was in, but also about the ministry and mission and life of Jesus in comparison to what we often expect Jesus comes into our lives to do. And there was lots of expectations that this crowd of people had and some of those people had expectations because they had been following around Jesus for a long period of time and they had they had seen him speak against the religious establishment they had seen him do things that other religious leaders wouldn't do or couldn't do or hadn't done forgive sins raise the dead heal people from diseases speak out in authority against the religious leaders against the Roman government and he was not like other he was not like other prophets he was not like other teachers he was not like other people that they had seen. And then of course he was predicting, I'm going to go into the holy city and this is what's going to happen. And you need to be aware of that and understand that. So there were a few things that were happening. First you need to understand that the the background story of what's going on with the Jewish people at this time, is that they had been um, oppressed or occupied. Their holy land had been occupied by the Roman Empire for quite some time. And while the Roman Empire did many things in a governmental way and a technological way to like improve the world, they were also they led with kind of this iron fist that that Caesar was not just ruler, not just king, but that Caesar was in fact God. In fact, it was often, it was often um, common for them to say that Caesar is Lord. Supreme ruler, king over all, none higher than him. And so when, when people would say that Jesus was Lord, this was not just a theological statement, right? This was like a, this was a, an attack on or an insurrection against the most powerful military rule and government that has ever been before. That no, 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 Caesar isn't king. Caesar isn't ruler. Caesar isn't lord. This this Jewish guy from Nazareth riding on a donkey, he's lord. He's king. And so there was this, There's this background of like, of political instability, and like if the Jewish people had enough power and had a leader, they would, if they could, rise up against the Roman government and and um, and and take back their holy land. And in fact, it wasn't without uh, it wasn't without precedent. About 150 years before Jesus was born, there was a man named Judas. Maccabeus. Ever hear of the Maccabean revolt? Judas Maccabeus, who led a revolt against the occupying government of the Jewish people at that time, a group called the Seleucids. And um, Judas's nickname was Judas the Hammer. I mean, if you're going to have a nickname, <laughs> it's not a bad one, right? <gasps> Judas the Hammer. And Judas the Hammer was known for being a fantastic military um, strategist, but he was brutal. And he organized the Jewish people to rise up against the Seleucids, and he conquered the Seleucids. And in the victory parade um, of uh, of Judas Maccabeus, the, the Jews who were in Jerusalem at that time took palm branches and waved them in a victory march at, Judas's, um, at his, his re-entry into the city. And such a symbol was the palm branch at that time that Judas actually had palm branches stamped on the new currency for Jerusalem. And it was known for a long time, the palm branch, as a symbol of uprising, as a symbol of insurrection, as a symbol of the victory that the Lord had given the Jewish people to regain their homeland. And so when Jesus comes, marching into this city, a city that was the theological, governmental, cultural center of the Jewish people. And they had some background about who Jesus was and maybe what he had come to do and what their history was. They saw this as an awesome opportunity to proclaim once again that our, look, finally, 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 Our king has come. Take out the palm branches once again. Wave them in the air. Just like Judas before him, this guy Jesus is coming. He's going to set us free from this oppression. Finally, he is going to be our king. He is going to be our ruler. Caesar isn't going to be ruler anymore. And they yelled this phrase, Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! This word, Hosanna, the, the meaning of the word Hosanna was save. Save us. We or I beseech you. It was a, it was a prayer even. Dear, dear Jesus, save us. We, we, we implore you. Set us free. Hosanna to the son of David. You know who David was? In Jewish history, the most powerful military ruler and king that the Jewish nation had ever known, right? So when they say, save us, O son of the great and powerful military leader, their expectations were being set. They were were stating very clearly what they anticipated Jesus would do when he came into the city. Now what are some of the other things that he, they said? Well, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. All of these things that they were saying were not without also some sort of precedent. See, these had existed. These sayings or these, um, these pronouncements had existed in the in in Israel or for the Jewish people for centuries. In fact, they existed all the way back to David, the great military ruler and king of the Jewish nation. In Psalm chapter 118, right, we see some of these uh, we see some of these um, some of these sayings in Psalm 118, and it's a it's a long psalm, so we're not going to read it all. But to give you somewhat of a picture, you have your Bible, you can go to Psalm 118, and let's look at a few, um, a few key verses here. Now, psalm, psalm 118 was known as a royal psalm, okay? That means that it was um, for the purpose of celebrating an accomplishment of the king. Uh, we believe that it was written by David, King David, at the time. And David wrote things in Psalm 118 and in verse 7 The Lord is with me, he is my helper. I will look in triumph on my enemies. And then David look or and then as David continues to write here, verses like 10 through 16. All the nations surrounded me, David said. But in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They swarmed around me like bees, but they died out as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. And down to verse 26, we see the part of Psalm 118 that the crowd was Chanting at the coming in of Jesus, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us with bows, or bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. Psalm 18 was known as a royal psalm that was sung in thanksgiving for victory. And specifically at the end of the chapter here in verses 19 through 29, it was like um, it was instructive as to how the how the crowd was to celebrate the victory that the king had won. When the king was coming back into his capital city, with bows in hand, joined the festal procession up to the horns of the altar, giving thanks. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, for his deliverance has been great to us. And so, and so, the all of these people were 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 like hanging on the words of Psalm 118. Oh, look, the king is coming into into the city and he's coming in he's coming in victory and he's coming in he's coming in power and this is the moment that we've all been been waiting for and finally the romans are going to be overtaken how do we celebrate victory quick grab the palm branches lay out the cloaks our king is coming into the city hosanna in the highest save us lord our time is finally come This was like the energy that was surging through this crowd. To add on top of it all, the crowd in Jerusalem was up to five times larger than it normally is because this was during the most um, uh, holy celebration in all of the nation of Israel is Passover. For Jewish people, even Jewish people today, their most holy holiday is Passover. It was the commemoration and memory of when um, the Holy Spirit of God passed over the homes of the Egyptians, killing the firstborn of every home that was not, that the doorposts were not drenched in the blood of the sacrificial lamb, right? And that, and that, Pharaoh of Egypt finally said, okay, I've had enough. Israelites, get out of Egypt, right? So it was, the, it was the moment, Passover celebration was the moment where the Israelite people celebrated God's greatest deliverance of them from their slavery. And so, during the Passover feast, where they're there remembering God's great deliverance of them in the midst of their slavery... And you have Jesus coming in, and they're oppressed again, and he has promised to set them free also. And so they grab the palm branches. They're like, hey, look, everything is coming together in perfect order. This has got to be it. It's like God is moving all the pieces into a perfect perfect place. And finally, this is our moment. It should not escape us. That the reason the people were celebrating so excitedly around Jesus is that they believed that finally a king was coming to set them free from the oppression that they were experiencing and return them to the original promise of God for their lives. Now, we could very easily hear that as a, um, a message of like, oh yeah, like these people are under governmental oppression, their king is going to come, set them free from that slavery, and free them to do what God has designed for their lives, right? Like, sounds like, you know, what would happen? And we could also take that and sort of baptize it in what we know about the gospel It's say the same thing. That Jesus was coming in a very unexpected way to free those in slavery and to set them free into the life that God had promised them and designed for them. And so then the question then remains is how do you and I Celebrate Palm Sunday. How do do you and I how do you and I approach this? Because the people's response and demeanor at the time of Jesus coming into Jerusalem indicates that their anticipation was that Jesus was a great king who has come in a new Passover for them. And the response of the Jewish leaders and the response of the Roman leaders indicate that that's exactly what everyone thought. You read all the Gospels. If you ever read the Gospel, um, this part of the Gospel, and you'll see things like after Jesus comes in, and the Pharisees knew they had to find a way to kill Jesus. And the Roman Empire, um, they, they were. Asking who this Jesus of Nazareth is with, and they pulled him in front of Pontius Pilate and they pulled him in front of Herod, like, No, you tell us who you are, you tell us what your plans are. Not because they necessarily wanted to thwart the redemptive plan of God, they weren't thinking in that way at all. They saw Jesus as some kind of political insurrectionist who was challenging their seat of power, who was challenging their authority who is challenging the authoritarian rule that they had on everyone. Jesus came not just in a way to set us free spiritually, but he came in direct opposition to the worldly way of being in authority over people. Coming over top of them and ruling them with an iron fist. So if the... If the the common like belief was that Jesus was coming into the city to be some like political or military ruler or leader and we see that by everything that we've talked about so far what if that's not true then what is the reality why would Jesus come into the city like he did There are a few things to notice here and to recognize. The first is this, is a a question about about the type of king that Jesus was. About the, the type of ruler that Jesus was. And that Jesus is. Okay? So, the question. When you think of a king, a ruler, a president, a prime minister, whomever, even today, when you think of them coming into their capital city, what is the picture that you get of get in your mind? Like the procession of them coming back into the city. I, I, I think of like parade, right? And I think of like presidential motorcade. You know, like 15 cars long. Or like the Pope's little car that's got like the bubble over it. I don't know. car that kind of looks like his hat. I don't know. It, it's, but like he's, you know, long and pronounced and red carpets and um, you know, very pretty and, and very picturesque. Or I think, of, I think of the old school Aladdin movie. Not the real-life Aladdin movie, but like the real Aladdin movie, right? And where Aladdin tells the genie that he wants to be made a prince to get Jasmine's attention, right? And so, and so immediately, like, the genie creates this large processional of, like, prince-like pomp and circumstance to come into the city. Elephants and monkeys and camels and horns and people waving flags, right? Like this this grand entrance into the city, to show everyone who was watching how important, how opulent, how, how rich, how significant this prince or this king is. Is that the picture that you get in your mind? When you think about like kingly processions? I mean, I think most people does. So now, compare that to the way in which Jesus chose to come into the city. He tells his disciples, go and find me a donkey. Now, all jokes aside, donkeys are really stinking cute, right? But they are a far thing from a kingly steed. Right? They look nothing like an animal that a king would hop up on and ride into his holy and capital city in anticipation of military victory. Like, doubtful that would have been very intimidating to the Roman legions. Here comes the Jewish guy riding a donkey. Right? Now it's funny to think about and it's funny to talk about, but But the symbolism behind what Jesus did here indicates something very crucial about him is that he is not like other kings. That Jesus is not like other rulers. Not just then, but now. Jesus is not like other presidents. He's not like other kings or princes. He's not like other prime ministers. He's not like other generals or colonels. He's not... Like any other ruler. Jesus comes in gentleness and humility. Jesus comes without much um, without much fanfare or pomp and circumstances. Jesus comes in on a donkey. Somewhat un not somewhat unassuming. Absolutely unassuming. Probably. Um, most clear is this point that I want you to get. So, Jesus comes so unlike we often expect him to come. Remember that. Remember that for a moment. Hold on to that. But it is not necessarily indicative of his true or divine worth. Right? It's not as if we're worshiping a savior, following a king or a general who is only worthy of riding on a donkey. You see, there is a, there is a difference between a, between a king who only has a donkey to choose from and who willfully chooses a donkey. There is a the difference between a leader who willfully chooses a path of humility and who willfully chooses the most outrageous entrance he can imagine. Jesus is not just like some other king. Because understand this, while Jesus rode into his city, Jerusalem is his city. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, it is not indicative of the way that he will always ride into his city. You see, because here's the thing, is that Jesus chooses how he enters your life. Jesus chooses how he enters my life. And in this moment, Jesus chose to ride into the holy city on a donkey, gentle, humble, Um like destroying all expectations about what kind of king, what kind of ruler, what kind of savior, what kind of leader he will be. But I will tell you this, the next time that Jesus rides into the holy city, it will not be on a donkey. Because Jesus chooses how he comes, right? And, and um, John the Apostle John, um, in his in his vision that we know as Revelation, speaks very clearly about how Jesus rides into the Holy City. The next time he rides into the Holy City, which is to come, we are waiting for that. It could happen now, you know, like it could happen any second, right? Jesus chooses that. So that we know that we are not, we do not serve a, a a weak king. We do not serve a king who only had a donkey to choose from. We do not serve a king who is somehow subservient to the whims of other kings or kingdoms or or leaders or rulers or princes or generals. We serve the king above all kings. Revelation chapter 19 speaks to us about how Jesus comes into the holy city the next time he comes into the holy city. And John, here who is receiving this vision from the Lord, writes it like this. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven follow him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men, of horses and their riders. And the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. And then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf, with these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the white horse, and all of the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. So, (laughs) um, there is a time that Jesus comes in gentleness. And there is a time that Jesus comes in the fullness of the glory of God. Which is so um, so starkly communicated here that it's Almost uncomfortably scary. You see, we have made a we have made a habit, understandably, of making Jesus like our buddy. Like he's like buddy Jesus, like friend Jesus, right? And is he in, is he a friend indeed? And and is he uh, um, do we have like? Is he gentle and compassionate, merciful and loving? Is he full of grace and full of truth? Absolutely. Is like the embrace of Jesus in, you know, in the courts of heaven going to be the most fulfilling embrace you've ever received? Yes, absolutely. But do not be confused, right? He is not like other kings, He is King of kings and Lord of lords both in gentleness but also in fury for those that oppose God. And while he comes in gentleness once, he will come in judgment once. So Jesus coming in on a donkey is indicative of the type of... um, kingship that he would receive, he would, he would.